0: Good morning everyone. I am so glad that you're joining us today, whether it be your first time online or if you've been joining us for Church Online for quite some time now. I'm so excited to have you here with me this morning. I believe that God wants to speak to you. I believe that he has a word for you. So I hope that you're ready to receive it. I hope that you're ready to hear it and take heart. Um, if you would, just bow your heads with me so we can pray and get straight to it. God, I thank you so much for just the opportunity to speak this morning, Lord. I pray that you would shut my mouth and open yours, Lord. I pray that your presence would inhabit this message. I ask, Father, that our hearts would be open to you that our ears would be attuned to your voice, that we would receive your word with joy and, and and carry it forth into the days to come, Lord. Amen. Well, to get started this morning, my name is Danielle Hubbard. I am one of the pastors on staff here at Summit Church. Um, currently I'm over all of our kids' age birth through fourth grade. Um, as well as I help to oversee our youth group, age 5th through 12th. And I'm also over all of our um, global outreach and our partners that we connect with and partner with all around the world. So got a lot going on, but it's great. I love being a pastor at Summit Church. It is a joy and an honor. Um, that's enough about me. <laughs> Uh, Let's jump straight into the word this morning. The title of my message is, if you're a note taker, will you be named among the builders? We've been in this um, series where we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and today we're going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 3. And I don't know about y'all, but I am loving the book of Nehemiah. It is just so convicting, so encouraging, And, I mean, it's just so great. I love it. I hope you do too. But if you'll read with me, we'll be in verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be reading out of the message translation. So it says, The high priest, Eliashib, and his fellow priests were up and at it. They went to work on the sheep gate. They repaired it and hung its doors, continuing on as far as the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of the Hananel. The men of Jericho worked alongside them, and next to them, Zachar, son of Imri. The fish gate was built by the Hassanah brothers. They repaired it, hung its doors, installed its bolts and bars. Mermoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakaz worked. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, Meshezebel. Next to him, Zadok, son of Banna, and next to him, the Tekoites. Except for their nobles, who wouldn't work with their master and refused to get their hands dirty with such work. Sounds like someone just got called out. (laughs) I'd hate to be them. When I first looked at chapter 3 of the book of Nehemiah, I was like, how in the heck am I going to preach on a list of names. (laughs) Like, what even? But, you know, if you, if you, honestly, if you were to just go and pick up your Bible and turn to chapter 3 in Nehemiah randomly and start reading out of that chapter, you honestly, at first glance, would probably skip over it, but if you read it in its entirety with chapter 1 and chapter 2 and following with chapter 4 and continuing on if you read it in entirety with the rest of the book you see it's a very important part of the story You see the walls of Jerusalem had been down for quite some time now It it didn't just happen when Nehemiah went to rebuild It it wasn't a tragedy that people instantly joined in and came together, and there, so much time had passed that they just, no one was motivated to do anything. It, and, and, uh, I mean, it was no small feat, so it would be difficult to be motivated to do anything. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the work that they had to do to clean everything out and, in and, and just just make a new slate, basically, to get back to work. You know, it makes me think of um, of when the World Trade Center, along with the Twin Towers, were attacked and they they went down. I was eight years old in the third grade. A tragic event in history that left New York City with tons. In tons of rubble and debris left to clean up. In fact, the debris that remained accumulated to be 1.8 billion tons of steel and concrete. I can remember, even as an eight-year-old, a little third grader, I can remember the camaraderie that was stirred in our nation, the camaraderie that was stirred within the people of the United States, states how everybody came together to pray everybody came together to help search for people that were lost to help clean up and to to memorialize what had just happened in our nation it was huge it was huge and here we are in 2021 20 years later almost 20 years later in a couple months And there's no sign of destruction left, except for the memorial that was made in honor of the lives that were lost. Everything has been restructured and rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem, they were destroyed around 586 B.C. But Nehemiah, he didn't get the report until around 445 B.C., The temple had been rebuilt, but it wasn't until 70 years later that Nehemiah had even received the report of the state of the people, the state of the city, the state of just how they were, how they were downtrodden and not lively. And and he was so struck with sadness that he began to pray and he fasted. And that's when he was able to go and repair the wall, after he prayed and he fasted and he he asked God to help him. And Hezekiah, I want you to know, Hezekiah had already, he had rebuilt some portions of the wall, but it was nowhere near complete. Nowhere near complete. And if you'll remember, if you haven't watched our, if you're on Church Online and you haven't watched our previous messages of Nehemiah, of the start till now, I would encourage you to go back and listen, because it kind of just builds on, well, it doesn't kind of build, it 100% builds on each other, so. But what we do know from previous reading and previous messages is that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He was a layman. He had been held captive and became a cupbearer to the king. He was not a priest. He, at this point, was not even a governor of any sort. He, for sure, 100%, was not a construction worker. This building the wall wasn't his gift or his talent or, you know, it wasn't his strength. He didn't have building skills. I don't think he was just a cupbearer. He tasted things before the king ate them so that he would be poisoned, not the king. But let me tell you what he did have. He had the willingness. He had what was needed to go and that was just the willingness. He had the willingness to get people to rally up. To inspire those that had been living in the midst of destruction and get them to buy in and to be a part and to rebuild. He was a leader that was able to cast vision so that almost everyone was bought in. Almost everyone because, remember that little snarky comment about the Tekalites who uh, were like oxen stepping away from the yoke. But in chapter 3, it's not just a list of names that don't matter. It's a list of those that came alongside the task and were dedicated to the rebuilding of their walls that had been destroyed. They were tired of it. Can you imagine just living somewhere that has been totally demolished and you're just looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and it probably becomes so, almost like something you don't even notice anymore. You know, The first worker mentioned in the list of names is Elisha, the high priest. And it goes on to say that Uziel, the son of Harahiah, the goldsmith, worked next to him. And next to him, Hanahiah. Also, don't judge me on my pronunciation of these names because they're pretty difficult. But Uziel, the son of Herahiah, the goldsmith, worked next to him, and next to him Hananiah, one of the perfumers. They rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And the chapter continues with names of more than... 50 people who helped with the rebuilding, people who took responsibility for rebuilding different portions of the wall, some working on the portion in front of their dwelling place that's right in front of their house. They had to look at it every day. Some of them took responsibility for that. Some took responsibility for far beyond what they were specifically responsible for, and others took responsibility for different gates. All the gates had to be refixed and put together. Really quick, I love (laughs) decorating. I love making pretty spaces with all the details and the accents and making things just come together. It makes me happy. And in my mind, this wall stresses me out because can you imagine Can you imagine all the coordinating that had to happen for this wall to come together? I'm picturing, like, a section of the wall being shiplap, you know, white shiplap. And then maybe another section, you move on to the next people, and they don't really love shiplap, so they are like, I'm going to do this beautiful whitewash brick with a little bit of black trim, you know, you know the house I'm talking about, and then maybe another person, they, they really love that, like a rock house, you know, with the red rocks, they love that look, so they're gonna build their portion of the wall with some red rocks, with some grout in there as well. And then maybe you move on. And there are some people who 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 love the super pretty white subtitles with the black grout, or you could go white grout, but whichever. Anyways. You've just got this hodgepodge of a wall that has no congruence because everyone has their own idea and their own opinion, and there wasn't any communication on what was expected. There was no communication on who was doing what and how it would correlate with what was beside them, and it just really stresses me out. You know, my husband and I have been looking for a house to buy. Thank God we found one to rent recently, but... We went and looked at a house the other day, and I stepped into what I felt like was seven different styles in one home. I mean, the kitchen was a totally different style. The living room flowed into a different style, kind of bachelorish, and then we've got modern on half of the half of the hallway, and then western on the other half. And I'm like, I was so perplexed. I was like, what is going on here? nothing flows together. And it just stressed me out. So anyways, back to the scripture. I just really needed you to know um, where my mind was when I pictured how this building of the wall would go without any leadership or without any vision, without any purposed plan for the rebuild. So if you'll look at me at verse 5, it says, And next to him, the Techoites, except for their nobles, who wouldn't work with their master, and refused to get their hands dirty with such work. That's where we left off. One commentary says about the Techoites, it says, And next to him, oh, I'm sorry. It says, The upper class at Tekoa, the Adarim, or exalted, withdrew from the work like oxen, withdrawing their necks from the yoke and stood aloof, leaving it to the common people to engage in it or not as they pleased. The common people were perhaps moved to the greater zeal by the defection of their natural leaders, for they were among those who accomplished a double task, repairing a second portion of the wall after having finished their first. I don't know about you, But I would absolutely hate to be described as an oxen withdrawing from a yoke, standing aloof. When I think of someone standing aloof, I'm just like a big old lump of skin standing there wondering what everybody's doing, you know? I would hate to be described as an oxen withdrawing from the yoke, standing aloof, watching everyone else do the work of God, and then... To make matters worse, go down in the Bible for it. I would hate that, wouldn't you? There had to be some serious dedication and planning and listening and setting aside of agendas in order for this wall to be rebuilt. And that has to happen in the local church as well. It has to happen with it the community of believers to accomplish the task of rebuilding the walls that have been destroyed. There can't be any contention or separate desires. Everyone's got to get in line with the vision, having one accord, and that is to accomplish what God has in front of us. Am I saying that the people of the church can't have their own thoughts or ideas and that we just want to have a one-track mind and, and move as a church that's like a robot? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, that's the farthest thing that we want. Am I saying that you have to agree with every single thing that your pastor or your leader says? No, I'm not. You see, there's this thing called submission, (laughs) and it's a concept that I think humankind just naturally resists. You see, we want to do our own thing. We want to have our own agenda, do things on our own time, and we we want ourselves to benefit. You know, submission. Submission. But the thing is, submission is a beautiful thing when it's applied correctly. It's biblical. And I I believe that blessings come out of your willingness to submit when it's in the right context. In case you didn't know, we have some very strong personalities on our team, on our staff team here at Summit. Summit. And there are times when we're not all in agreement on a decision or a plan or or whatever it be. And and we have to take the time to hash it out. But in the end, in the end of decision-making time, our staff is submitted to the leadership of Pastor David because we know that God has specifically uniquely and very purposefully positioned him as the pastor and the leader, the shepherd of Summit Church. We, we know that he's listening to the voice of God and when he makes a final decision, it's our role to submit to that because we are submitted to him and to the overall vision of Summit Church and he may have a little bit more insight than we do on some things that we don't know about. He may know a little bit more than we do. On the flip side, there's other times when the rest of the team feels strongly about something, and he will come alongside us because he trusts and knows that we're committed to the same thing. We're committed to him and to one another and to our church and to the vision that God has given us for Summit Church. Submission comes, I mean, I'm sorry, submission leaves no room for ulterior motives and, and no room for yourself to be made known. Submission comes without regard, without regard to anything. If Nehemiah, if he didn't come in with a plan, if he came in half committed, not ready to direct and guide and spearhead this large feat of rebuilding a wall, can you imagine with me, can you please imagine the catastrophe that it would have been? No one would have submitted to the vision of the wall. No one. He would have no builders. He would be doing it by himself. That wall, or he either would be doing it by himself, or... That wall that I mentioned earlier, with the shiplap and the sub tiles and the rock wall and the whitewashed brick, that's what the wall of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, would have looked like. They wouldn't have been inspired to take action. They, they. Remember, if you'll remember that they have been looking at this heap of rubbish surrounding them for over 70 years, 70 years. Some of them didn't know a life without a broken wall, just like some of our kids don't know a life without social media. Whoa. You know, that's one of the fears that many of us have for the generation coming after us. Our walls have been shattered down. The truth has been poked and prodded and torn apart and distorted. Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you tired of being a Christian and just standing by as our rights and our beliefs and our morals are just trampled on? Aren't you tired of watching the people of our world be overcome by the enemy? Aren't you tired of seeing your friends and your family go down a path that you know in the deepest depths of you that God did not intend for them? Aren't you tired of seeing so much corruption in the church? It's time to wake up. It's time to get in line with the vision. It's time to start acting like a Christian in our friend groups, not just on Sundays when we come to church. In fact, it's time to get in church more than one Sunday out of the month so that you can be strengthened and encouraged. That's biblical. It says, Neglect not the gathering of believers as is the habit of some. That's a habit that's got to go. It's it's time to not just be an observer of a worship service and a great message, but be a servant. Use what God gave you. Get out of your comfort zone. Be like the perfumer and the goldsmith, not the techoite. It's time to protect and guard the faith of our children and their children to come. My baby, I have a niece that's going to be one in September. My baby is due in September. I have another niece and a nephew due in in October and November. Hannah, our worship leader, she has a baby due in July or August. Are we willing to do what it takes for our babies so that they don't know a life with broken down walls of spirituality? So that they don't know a life of living among destruction? Are we willing to do what it takes to rebuild the walls? It's time to rally the troops and take back what's been stolen and repair what's been broken, repair the walls that have been brought down. It's time to get involved in the rebuilding, not just observe. When I think about, when I think about what it must have been like to see the wall come together in just a short 52 days, I think of hope restored. 52 days comparative to 70 years. It's just a little over a month and a half, almost two months. 52 days, that's all it took after 70 years of heaps of a mess. You know, I've I've been in a season myself Um, for a little while now where I've had to do some things that I don't necessarily love or like or want to do and I've thought God when are you ever going to release me from this I've been faithful to you I've I've been devoted I've done what you've asked me to do I've put my head down and trucked through and still still I'm here Still, I'm in this same season, in this same place. And it began to affect me. And I had to take a step back and search my heart and get some insight from some leaders in my life that I trust and I value. And at the heart of things, I realized, I realized I wasn't actually walking in full obedience. I wasn't actually walking in full submission to what God had asked me to do. Because as I mentioned earlier, full submission comes without regard. Without regard, you're committed. No matter if you like it, no matter if you're uncomfortable, no matter if you want to do it, no matter if you're passionate about it. I allowed my, I don't want to do this, this isn't me, this isn't my, purpose because I don't have a passion for this to consume my thoughts and it led me to a place of just being so unhappy and and soon it would if I didn't address it it would soon lead me to a place of bitterness how many of you know bitterness is not a place where the Lord intends for you to be but you know what The purpose of God on my life is to uncover the kingdom of God wherever I am, wherever I am placed, in whatever capacity that I'm needed. In the world we're living in right now, this means that the purpose of God on my life is rebuilding that wall that's been taken down, that's been destroyed. That the enemy is fighting so hard to destroy and come against in our young people, in our churches, and in our homes, and in our schools. And I believe that that is the purpose of God on every believer right now. And it looks different for everyone. It looks different for everyone. But our job as Christians, as followers of God, is to equip the saints. To equip the saints You first need to be one. In Ephesians 4, verse 10 through 16, it says, "...he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry." For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. That's you. That's us. That's the church. You may not know what your gift is yet because you haven't stepped any stepped into anything to try it, to try and figure it out. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, they aren't jobs like the president it's not one person that has a title and everyone else looks to him for everything. No. As we seek the face of God and we grow and mature in our faith, that is produced in us. It's not something that we have to strive for. It's God-given, meaning it's the most natural thing that you can have when you step into it. Begin to ask God. God. Begin to ask God what he has for you, what he has gifted you with, what he has purposed for you, what step he wants you to take in rebuilding the wall, in restoring hope to a lost generation. The scripture talks about us being the body and how no member is more important than the other and how when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How do we get there? It takes us actually being a part of the church, not just spectating the church. It takes us not just being observers of the word, but doers of the word. It takes us spending time in the presence of God to see what he would have us do, to see what he would say. It takes us diligently seeking the face of God, seeking his presence and hearing his word at our youth retreat a couple weeks ago we um we were we were playing a a game called cops and robbers it's not the og kind where you have lots of vehicles and kids running all around over we played the kind involving hula hoops being the safe zone for the robbers that couldn't be tagged by the cops and one of our girls she kept getting so frustrated because apparently some of the robbers they would get their toe in the safe zone and be counted as safe but the rest of their body was outside the safe zone and she was like it doesn't make sense how are they safe if just the rest of their body is not in the safe zone but their toe is And my response to her was, how do you think Jesus feels about his people being half in the world and half out? And in that moment, it was funny, and it just came so quickly, but it is so true, and it is so real. We can't be half in, half out, one foot in the world, one foot out of the world. We can't have one toe in the presence of God and call ourselves Christians. How can we effectively be a part of rebuilding the wall or rebuilding anything in that case. We've got to be all in, or we will be robbed of our purpose in the kingdom. We've got to be all in, or we will miss the opportunity to partner with God in what he is doing around us, and we won't have the eyes to see it. We've got to be all in, committed to him, or we'll miss the generation after us. In Romans 8, it says, for those in verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're half in, you're not submitted to God. You're living according to your flesh. In fact, it says that you're hostile to God. Don't take offense at me. That is straight from the Bible. That's not from my mouth. That's what the scripture says. If you've got one foot in and one foot out, you're lukewarm. I'm going to wrap it up with this. In Revelation, there was a church that was lukewarm, the church of Laodicea. And in that book it says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And these people, they related to being lukewarm because they lived in the mountain area and they had to go to the top of the mountain for the hot spring and they had to go to the bottom of the mountain for the cold springs. And in the middle, by the time the water had flowed down, I guess they were somewhere in the middle. And when the water had flowed down, the water was just lukewarm. And they actually got very sick if they drank from it. So they spit it out. Laodicea was known for their wealth. In fact, they rebuilt their city with their own money. They were some rebuilders. But they didn't need a crutch to help them. They didn't need Jesus says, I know your works. In other words, your works are nothing without your faith in me. Pointing back to in James 5 where he's warning the rich. The, their riches made them spiritually poor. I'm not saying it's a sin to be wealthy or a sin to have money. Or that it's even bad to have money. But it's a sin to trust in your money and not God. They had placed money as a little g-god over our God Nehemiah Nehemiah asked God to provide a way for him to rebuild his dependence and his trust was fully on God for this wall to be rebuilt he was fully in God was all he had he had been captive previous to this quest to build a wall he was a cup bearer he didn't have riches to depend on he was all in. There was no room for his lukewarmness. He wasn't lukewarm. We have to get that we have to get to that place of being all in. Do you think that the perfumer was lukewarm? Without God-inspired vision and leadership of Nehemiah and his own devotion to God, do you think that the The perfumer would have ever, in his wildest dreams or thoughts, imagined that he would be mentioned in the Bible for rebuilding a wall? Do you think that the jeweler, the goldsmith, was lukewarm? Without his commitment and inspiration of restoring hope out of his love for the Lord, do you think that he ever thought in his wildest dreams, think that he would be mentioned among the builders Do you think that the priest was lukewarm of all people the priest do you know that there are pastors today that are lukewarm Do you think that that, that he would have ever imagined being listed among those who helped to rebuild the wall the priest Do you think that the daughters of Shalom, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, do you think that they were lukewarm? I'm sure they never had thought about being mentioned among the builders because the women didn't do the work like that. As God is warning the church of Laodicea, at one point he says, those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. If we want to be named among the rebuilders, we cannot be lukewarm. We cannot be dependent on our wealth. We cannot be dependent on ourselves. We must be dependent on God and be devoted to Him. If we want to be named among the builders, we must first have zeal and repent. This whole chapter is dedicated to listing by name those who would be a part Those who would do the hard work, those who would get their hands dirty, those who would do what was outside of their realm of expertise, those who would participate in the work of God through Nehemiah, those who would link arms and say, no longer will we live in heaps of rubbish, no longer will. Will we sit by and let this broken wall define our city? No longer will my family see me stand by and watch as hope has been lost. No longer will I not do my part. No longer. But we will link arms with our neighbors and our neighbors' neighbors. We'll link arms with our leaders and our city officials. We'll link arms within our homes arms within our families and we'll do our part and together we will rebuild my question to you today is will you be named among the builders i want to do something i want to ask you that question and as a response not to me but to the lord I want you to, wherever you're at, you're in your home, maybe you're in your office, I don't know where you are. But however you want to respond, as a a prophetic act of saying, God, no longer will I sit by and watch the destruction of turmoil and not do something. I want you to do something that is a symbol to God, saying, God, I'm committed to what you're doing, and I'm willing to be used by you. I don't want to pressure you into it. If you're not ready, that's between you and God. But I believe that you're here listening today because God is speaking to you, that he has been speaking to you in weeks past and and is going to continue to speak to you in weeks to come of what you're supposed to do, of what your part is. So if you're ready to take that step today, I want you to do that, whatever it means for you. This is your opportunity to respond, saying, God, here I am. Have your way. Have your way. So if that's you today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, if you're by yourself, to let someone know because we need accountability with the people around us to hold us accountable to what we're committed to. But if that's you today, I'm just going to simply pray over you. God, we... We want to be listed among the builders, Lord. There are are those of us who are linking arms together spiritually. We're not physically together, Lord, but we are spiritually linking arms saying no longer will we stand by. Saying I'm going to be listed among the rebuilders of this wall. God, I pray for the, just the courage to step out, to be bold, to be, um, willing to step out of our comfort zone to be able to do the things that you're asking us to do jesus i just pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage and the strength to do whatever it is lord let our ears be open to you let our hearts and our eyes be so attuned to your voice jesus so that we would hear what you might have for us so that we would hear where it is that you want us to be What direction are you pushing us towards, Lord? If there's something that's distracting us, God, I pray that those distractions would be removed. I pray that those things would just be silenced in Jesus' name. God, we are submitting ourselves to you. We are fully submitted to you without regard, without regard of our comfort or our uncomfortness. God, we are submitted and committed to you and your will and the kingdom being uncovered here on this earth, Jesus. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Amen. Well, if that's you today, I am so encouraged. I hope that this word um, just brought you encouragement and conviction and just really lifted you up, honestly. But I don't want you to take this lightly. I want you to take it seriously. And so um, thank you for being with us today and have a good day.